Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play what's up open floor globe this is ben golver with the washington post i am joined on the other line by michael the pod pina from sports illustrated michael i put out the call for questions on the last episode and people emailed us open floor mail at gmail.com open floor mail at gmail.com i'm not even sure if josh had a question he just wanted to scream at us michael and here it comes it's time to take my phoenix suns seriously they have the second best record in the nba they just completed a season sweep on the team with the best record in the league that's the utah jazz and have such a deep team with a great one-two punch in devin booker and chris paul when will you guys finally talk about the Phoenix Suns on the podcast instead of the Boston Celtics and Brooklyn Nets on every other episode? Well, very fair question from Josh. It was an impressive victory by Phoenix on Wednesday night over Utah. You know, a possession game late in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, Phoenix winds up going a little bit dry with their offense in the last couple of possessions of regulation, but they wind up coming out with great energy and execution and overtime to take that victory. Um, you could kind of call it a playoff preview. I would, Michael. I was kind of looking at that game through the lens of what will these teams look like once they hit the postseason. And um, Phoenix has been absolutely impressive, steady the whole way through this season. So we should dive into what's going on down in the desert. So my first question to you, he mentions one-two punch in Booker and CP3. Is that the one-two punch or the two-one punch? Okay, because I, I think when we're seeing late in that game for Phoenix, uh, who gets the ball, how are they going to run the offense? They did tend to kind of trend towards Devin Booker in some key moments there. I don't know how I felt about that, Michael. I kind of thought the ball should have been in Chris's hands. Am I crazy? A, li a little bit. I know that you have this issue with Devin Booker, and I don't know where it ha it originally germinated from. Um, 
but Booker is good. He's really good. And he's one of those few elite scorers in the league who can, in crunch time, just get any shot that he wants. And, you know, he I think he scored, what, seven points in the first couple minutes of the overtime before they kind of gave the ball to CP and let him, him close, which is just like the natural thing to do because Chris Paul is, I think he's fourth in clutch scoring this season in total points. He's ridiculous. Last it, It's a trend that kind of... It's been his whole career. But last year with the Thunder, I mean, he was absolutely dynamite down the stretch of every single game, pretty much. Um, So I understand why you think that CP should have the ball, and Monty Williams probably agrees with you. But Booker's, like, excellent. I I, I think, like, the the numbers aren't superb, but when I watch him play, I have full confidence that he's going to hit basically every single shot he takes. Well, let's talk about those clutch numbers. On the season, 28.4% shooting. For Devin Booker in the clutch, 20% on three-pointers in the clutch. I mean, that's got me a little bit nervous. Assist-to-turnover ratio is basically flat. As you mentioned, he stepped it up big time in the overtime situation. He actually got on that leak out like right off the tip-off to kind of get them off on the right foot. And so there was Mm -hmm. a lot of really smart, heady plays all around by the Suns in that overtime period. But when I look at the end of regulation where it did go a little bit dry for them, This is a really important thing to kind of circle for any team that hasn't been to the playoffs together before. How are they going to execute in these kinds of situations? And it was a lot of Booker isolation. And to me, that's just, you know, it's going to generate a good shot, but not a great shot. They're tied in regulation and Booker settles for a step back three that's contested. Uh, you know, you don't have to have that shot. You can get a two going to the basket. You can get a pull-up mid-range jumper. There's a lot of other ways you could go. And it seemed intentional by Phoenix to put the ball in his hands, to kind of trust him. And even on the broadcast, they're discussing, well, you got to give the ball to the best player on the court. And I was watching the best player on the court, Chris Paul, standing in the corner and watching all this stuff unfold. So I didn't necessarily like the strategy there. I do love that he wants to be the hero. He wants to be the guy who who drains that jumper over Paul George last year in the bubble. He clearly has that Mamba mentality. Um, You know, he's from that Kobe Bryant lineage of like, I'm going to go out and close this thing. But I think they could do better in a lot of these situations. I mean, Chris Paul was getting absolutely everywhere he wanted to go in the second half of that game. He makes incredibly good decisions late. He's got a great, very reliable mid-range jumper. And so I think it was kind of valuable reps for Devin Booker in that spot. Uh, But when they get to the playoffs, I hope it doesn't just turn into the isolation show late in these games because... I think that's going to wind up catching up to them. The numbers would say that that's not necessarily their best option. You've got to do better than 28% um, in those spots, in my opinion. Now, overall, big picture, it's fun to be able to dissect these little you know, nitpicks about the Phoenix Suns because the conversation around the Suns for the last 10 years has been they don't matter. Ownership is incredibly questionable. The front office just makes nothing but terrible decisions. They're completely off the radar. They're not even someone that we have to kind of pay their respect to. And they're absolutely in a situation right now, as the emailer pointed out, where it's time to talk about them and it's time to dig into like potentially how far can this team go in the playoffs. You look at their point differential, it backs up the idea that their their regular season record is not a fluke. They're very well balanced on both offense and defense. Um, they are much improved in clutch situations compared to last year, in large part because Chris Paul uh, has come and really helped organize them in those moments, but also because they've got lineups that are very well balanced that don't really have a lot of weak links. There is a lot to like about this Phoenix Sun team. There, there's no way around it. 
And yet I still see some questions, and I'm curious. I'm going to list a couple of them, and you tell me which ones are real concerns and which ones are just, you know, online idiot narratives. How's that sound, Michael? I, I It sounds great. I hope that the Phoenix Suns fans who listen to this show didn't turn it off when we kicked off this conversation by criticizing Devin Booker. Um, well, you criticized him. I was I was supporting him. But. I wasn't criticized. You got to do better than that jumper, Michael. Come on. We say this all the time about these guys in these situations, right? Game on the line. You've got to work a little bit harder than the step back three. You just bail the defense out. I mean, you see the giant sigh of relief from Donovan Mitchell uh, after that shot goes up. That's a red flag warning sign that you've got to do better. Mm. It was against the best defense in the NBA too. We got to give always give credit to who the opponent is when you're when you're being critical of a yeah. score. No, I mean Chris uh, Paul but- had no problem dicing them up though. I mean he was he was <laughs> he was playing great last night. Look, um, my first concern for you will actually be Chris Paul uh, because clearly you don't want me to pick on Devin Booker. Um, Chris Paul has a tendency to do this in regular seasons, right? Houston greatest regular season they ever had with Chris Paul. Uh, you go to Oklahoma City, biggest overachiever in the entire league. You look at Phoenix this year, nobody saw them being this good. I know you were in on the Suns before the season. I don't think you had them as the one or two seed in the Western Conference. Um, you add all that up, and then you look at his playoff track record and say, well, he gets to that first round. Injuries you know, kind of tend to pop up. The the wear and tear stuff tends to you know accumulate. He hits a wall against you know tougher um, you know defenses and and some of the times when he has to play more minutes, maybe his own individual effectiveness comes back to earth a little bit. Is Chris Paul potentially a limiting factor for the Suns to go deep into the Western Conference playoffs? How comfortable do you feel uh, with him at this stage of his career, knowing he's going to need to play probably almost forty minutes a night in those playoff series? Hmm. I I mean. I don't. I'm personally not that concerned with Chris Paul. Um, you know, you you cited the last two postseasons um, where he was like a huge character, and in, well, I'm citing or, 15 years of postseasons that say Chris Paul has never made the Western Conference Finals. And when you line up this team compared to some of those other teams he's been on, I mean, this team is not as good as that Houston team. Really, either one of the Houston teams that he was on. They're better than that Oklahoma City team for sure. They're probably, you know, comparable to some of those Clippers teams when the injuries, you know, did kind of uh, pile up. Like they're better than the Clippers when Blake was injured, for example. Um, but this is not like the greatest team that Chris Paul's ever been on. So I think his track record uh, in terms of when he hits the wall in the postseason has to factor into this discussion pretty, uh, you know, pretty obviously, right? Me, I mean, I, I. I think he's a great playoff performer. I mean, you could go through his career numbers. They're they're kind of superb in the postseason. I mean, it's it's a team game. I mean, he has some moments where we kind of uh, harp on mistakes that he's made and just can't get over them. But like all in all, he's not even close, in my opinion, to a reason why you should be concerned if you are concerned about the Phoenix Suns in the playoffs this year. I mean, my number one concern would, or I guess like, I don't even know if concern is the right word. Just like the pivot point for me is DeAndre Ayton. Like I, I kind of know what I'm getting with CP. I'm confident there. I know what I'm getting with Booker and he might take his game up to another, another level even. But like Ayton is the guy who I just, you know, 
early on in that game against the Jazz last night, you know, there was a uh, I, I was reading um, Chris Mannix's column, um, SI's Chris Mannix, uh, about just kind of how intense Chris Paul was on the sideline screaming at DeAndre Ayton to like have a greater impact on the glass and to play with more energy and Obviously, Aiton listened, which is good. You know, there's this thing with playing with Chris Paul where that kind of wears thin after a while. But so far, um, it's still working, I guess, with his partnership with Aiton. But Aiton is the guy who it's just like, okay, how? what's he going to be on a night-in, night-out basis? Can he survive against Jokic, against um, Anthony Davis, against whoever, uh, through however many rounds the, the Phoenix Suns believe that they can win um in the western conference and you know he needs to provide rim protection he needs to get out on the perimeter he needs to to rebound on both ends he needs to catch every single lob and uh he needs to hit jump shots when he's wide there's just a lot of different things that he needs to do and i i want to see if he can do them when um you know the competition level goes up a notch the, the spotlight is brighter, et cetera, et cetera. That's the thing I'm most looking forward to, I think. Well, you are you know, forecasting my list. He was going to be next up. Um, you know, coming in. <laughs> sorry. No, it's all good. Like, coming into, you know, last night's game, I mean, that really almost changed my opinion of DeAndre Ayton, right? Because, you know, if you had laid this out and said, okay, he's their X factor, do you trust in him? It would have just been a hard no for me. Like, no, absolutely not. Um, of all their young guys, who do I think is going to wind up showing through as a weak link in a playoff series if you can kind of pick on him, try to exploit him on the defensive end, and then just like, is he going to be ready for prime time? Um, he would have been the guy I circled and said, I just am not, you know, I'm not buying in at all to the DeAndre and experience. He's got to kind of earn back the trust that maybe he squandered earlier in his career. But he was an incredible impact maker against the Utah Jazz. I mean, he deserves a lot of credit for that victory with his uh, rebounding energy, um, just hitting the glass, making uh, the Jazz pay. Uh, when you know Rudy Gobert would step out defensively, Aiton was making them pay on the backside. They didn't really have anyone who could box him out, keep him off the glass, keep him occupied, any of it. And he just played with consistent energy and impact in a really important game in a way that I was just kind of not convinced that he was going to be able to do. So... I step back and say, well, if that's a playoff preview and this is kind of the best case version of who he can be, and now he knows he can do it, that's really big for his confidence. I think that's really big for them all around. Now, they're not entirely reliant upon Aiton. It's not like he has to play 40 minutes a night in the playoffs. They have other ways they can go, you know, playing smaller with Dario Saric uh, and different looks. But you would vastly prefer him to be one of your main guys on the court in key moments because of his physicality and, and because of his size. And it all just kind of comes down to like, can he play disciplined enough? Can he play consistently enough? I'm not sure we're going to know that until we get there. But I think that was a very promising moment for Suns fans. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, a lot of patience has been involved with the DeAndre Ayton experience. And I thought it paid off for them on Wednesday night. My next question for you was kind of involving Ayton, but also their other young guys Booker's never been in the playoffs. Bridges has never been in the playoffs. And, and some of their other, Cam Johnson's never been in the playoffs. Does the cumulative lack of postseason experience catch up to them in a first-round series if they have to play a team like the L.A. Lakers with LeBron and Anthony Davis? Or if they have to play another team who's younger guys, even like a Dallas Mavericks. Luka's been there before, right? Now, of course, you know CP is going to be leading the way with all the experience in the world. 
but does having so many pieces, you know, going there for the first time wind up being a, um, you know, kind of a hiccup for their plans? Uh, potentially. I, I, I don't think that for me it's that big of an issue. Um, you know, Jay Crowder was in the finals last year. He's played in numerous postseason battles. He's probably going to be the starting four. Um, obviously, Booker has never been to the playoffs. Aiton's never been to the playoffs. Mikhail Bridges has never been to the playoffs. But, like, I guess, like, when I look at the concern for me with Phoenix, it's, like, less about um, experience and more just about, like, how they're going to match up with some of those guys that you mentioned, like LeBron or Kawhi or Luka or, you know, these big playmaking wings that just dominate in the postseason. Because, like, I I love Mikael Bridges, one of my favorite players in the entire league. He's just not – that's just not his type of matchup. Like, he's really – I think he's stronger than he looks, but he's not strong enough to obviously bang with – like LeBron in the post. That's just not what he's going to do. He's going to chase guards around and he's going to harass ball handlers, 94 feet. Um, yeah. You kind of so- need to steal um, miles bridges, upper body and just attach it to Mikhail bridges, body. If you want to match up with LeBron, right? That's like a perfect basketball player that you just described. I wish that was a real person. <laughs> it probably is. It's probably LeBron. Yeah, we'll get but, to work on it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing for me. And I mean, that that kind of um, extends to some other teams. Like I also have that concern still a little bit with the Utah Jazz. And, and Royce O'Neal is kind of their stopper. I don't know if he's big enough to, to, to handle those guys. Um it's going to be a group effort and you know adding Tory Craig I think was a really nice addition and he hit some open threes uh last night which is if he's going to hit threes like I mean I don't even know how many minutes he's going to play but he's going to play a lot and he's going to be really impactful for them in the postseason and give them a lot more options but um but yeah you're just asking a lot of Jay Crowder uh and I don't know I just don't that's like the big concern for me if I had one with this team because as good as their offense is, you know, they take a lot of mid-range shots. Um, they're very accurate from the mid-range, and that's wonderful. But defense is kind of what's carrying them through the regular season, I would say, a little bit more than their offense, which is which is very good. Um, and if they can't get stops consistently in the postseason, it could be, you know, it could be a pretty disappointing run for them. So that's, that's the big thing for me when I look at this team. I think it's totally fair to say if it's 2-7, Lakers Suns uh the Lakers are going to be favored and that could actually be a quick series in the Lakers favor and I think some Suns fans would say oh well don't disrespect our regular season consistency and and everything else it's just really Mm -hmm. about kind of putting what they've done into context they've had excellent health and availability compared to a lot of other teams in the west and that has fueled their consistent play and it starts with Chris Paul I mean he's been uh, you know, very, very durable night to night out there making a big impact. But it's it's not just him. A lot of their guys have uh, have played a lot of games in a lot of minutes, and that's really helped them stay steady. So I think that's kind of number one. Um, you know, they're going to have an advantage in the standings and and other uh, statistics just because of that continuity factor that not everybody has enjoyed during this uh, season. I do think that their inexperience is going to wind up making them a kind of a bigger target for upset picks. I would look back at the the Denver Nuggets. The first year they made the playoffs, I believe they beat the the Spurs in seven games in the first round. 
that was another team where people kind of circled them and say, hey, look, they've never been there before. Do you really trust these guys? What are you going to get from a Jamal Murray? And so I think if you circle that example and say, hey, look, I mean, Denver beat a veteran Spurs team to advance. Um, you know, it's ca- they're capable of doing it. It's not like some thing where every time you make the playoffs, the first time in your career, you go home embarrassed, right? I think that's just kind of a, a, a counterexample you could make if you're a Suns fan saying, hey, look, like, yes, we know we're inexperienced, but um, they were able to kind of hold up in the bubble, like do or die format last summer. And they've got a guy who's been there before with Chris Paul, who for sure is going to have his fingerprints all over that series. And everybody else just kind of needs to play their role. It's not like they need to step up and be completely different people. I think that's a fair argument. Like if I look at Phoenix versus Dallas, for example, as a possible matchup, right? Or Phoenix versus Portland as a possible first round matchup or whoever else might come out of that playing tournament. I mean, Memphis Grizzlies, like... I would have Phoenix against all those teams. I just feel on the basis of their balance, right? Like I think that Luka and Damian Lillard would have strong arguments in those matchups as being the best individual player in those series. But when you're saying, okay, well, which teams can defend and execute? Who can set the tone of the series, you know, from a pace standpoint? I think you're probably going to favor Phoenix, aren't you? I am. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, for all the reasons that you just outlined, but also, like, how this team moves the ball and their offensive identity uh, is just so impressive. Like, they're so selfless. They cut. They screen. Um, they make the extra pass. It's kind of in their DNA and Monty Williams' DNA coming out of the Spurs system, the .5 offense. And Well, I don't know. I've seen a lot of these guys before Chris Paul showed up. I don't know. Maybe it's a DNA transfusion. I mean, maybe he just <laughs> injected them all uh, because— you go back a couple years ago, Michael, it's a different story. You know what I mean? And and I really want to fly this flag. Chris Paul needs to be all NBA this year, don't you think? So I saw this question in the outline that um, you emailed me this morning. And, like, I don't think he has a chance <laughs> to make all NBA. All right. I really don't. Give me the six guards who've had better seasons and bigger impact than Chris Paul, and then I'll freak out. Okay, so before I um, before I, I list my, my players that I'm very confident have had better seasons than Chris Paul, um, I just want to say real quick that uh, Phoenix's offense, when Devin Booker is on the floor without Chris Paul— is slightly better than Phoenix's offense with both of them play. And when Chris Paul is on the floor without Devin Booker, they fall to 21st in the league when they're top five when both of them share the floor. So, uh, you know, Chris Paul is amazing and incredible, but, like, let's let's settle down a little bit on his impact. Like, there's a lot of really good players on this team that, that are compatible and who complement one another. And Devin Booker, in my opinion, is the best player on the team. So, oh, Michael, I, Michael. So you're one of these guys. So did you give some more thoughts about our, our whole argument about what happens if Chris Paul gets replaced with Russell Westbrook? Where does Phoenix fall? Because now you're no. sound, <laughs> it sounds to me like you're trying to say, okay, well, if they've got Devin Booker and Russell Westbrook, they're going to still be a five seed. It's impossible, Michael. Come on. If you, I have a question for you, and I swear I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list my players in a second, but 
I want you to pretend that before 2021, you never even knew what the NBA was, and then you started watching games this season. Would you really still think that Chris Paul was better than Devin Booker if you watched every Suns game? Yes. I mean, look at some of these advanced metrics, Michael. Like you're, you're pointing out the on-off and all that. Real plus minus, it's not close. It's still Chris Paul. You're talking about who brings basketball intelligence to that organization. It's supposed to be a coincidence that a team that hasn't been able to do anything for 10 years and miraculously turns around um, on the basis of internal growth of their young players, no chance in the world. I mean, Chris Paul is, is basically a coach on the court. He's telling DeAndre Ayton what to do possession after possession. He's setting up a lot of their late game situations. The only late game situations I don't like are the ones where they make him go stand in the corner and watch because it makes no sense whatsoever. Um, I think that, yeah, like to me, Chris Paul is the most important piece for them. And I will go down. He's a better defensive player than Devin Booker. Uh, absolutely. Still, at this stage of his career, a bigger impact defensive player. Well, and if I had to quick, draft between the two of them for a postseason run, it's, I'm not even thinking twice. Well, real quick, like who was guarding Donovan Mitchell um, and the possessions that mattered last night? Like, I'm not, I'm like, not like necessarily. That, like that three-pointer he hit to tie the game? <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. No, um, look, okay. I mean, he's come along. I will say that about Booker. It's not like he's a disaster. I'm not trying to say, hey, this is oh, this is some clear-cut case. Booker's having a very strong season. I love the sacrifices he's made for the team concept, and his numbers have actually, you know, come out, uh, you know, at the end of it quite well because he's bought in, as you're saying. Everybody's moving the basketball, comes to him. He scores it so effortlessly. He's able to get his numbers without dominating the basketball in the way that he did earlier in his career, which to me, a lot of those seasons were just complete write-offs because it wasn't even real basketball. And so they're playing the right way. He is playing the right way. He's taking all of these challenges, absolutely. But you're asking me to pick between him and a first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the top five point guards in NBA history, who's still getting it done at 35? It's not you know, a real decision well, so for me. Yeah, but you're you're see you're adding that context and you're adding the fact that he's going to the Hall of Fame. Well, experience, you're, you're... intelligence, uh, leadership, <laughs> intangibles, all those things matter. That those are major drivers of the Phoenix Sun success. If you take Chris Paul off and replace him with a replacement level point guard like Ricky Rubio, this team is not even close to where they are right now in the standings. Well, that is uh, that is probably true. Yes, I think Chris Paul is better than Ricky Rubio. But I also think that, um, and I think this is just like a fascinating conversation, so I want to s- sit with it for one more second. But I also think that if Chris Paul was on the Phoenix Suns last season, you know, when DeAndre Ayton misses the first 25 games or whatever it was versus DeAndre Ayton playing in every game this season and not missing a single one, or Mikhail Bridges is not even close to the three-point threat, or um, the uh, the guy who can diversify his offense as he has this season because of more experience. Like those things don't really have that much to do with Chris Paul. So I want to give credit to the other pieces a little bit, and not say that it's just all it's all CP. You know what I mean? Like, and I, no, and I, 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 I do. Totally... Look, everything has fallen into line. And we should give Monty Williams a lot of credit here too. Absolutely. Mon- Monty Williams should be a coach of the year candidate, if not the favorite. I, to me, it's kind of him versus Quinn. And you can make yep. the argument that 
the Phoenix Suns have overperformed more than the Utah Jazz have, and they're arguably doing kind of more with quote unquote less just because some of their players are less proven. And so if, if Monty Williams comes out as the coach of the year, to me, that's a completely fair, you know, award, give it to him. Like he, he would absolutely have earned it. And uh, I just think like, you know, if, if Aiton misses 25 games with the drug suspension last year, Without Chris Paul, that's just devastating. Their whole season is tanked before it even starts. With Chris Paul, do they even miss him? You know, they're they're still going to win. They're probably going to go eighteen and seven. Maybe they'll go undefeated in the bubble too. You never know. Well, it was nice to see that. Uh, <laughs> it was nice to see that push, and for sure. I mean, look to me, there was too much emphasis on the eight and zero for them because a lot of those games were against teams that didn't necessarily need to win, mm-hmm. but. They laid the groundwork for this season with that 8-0 push. And I wonder, do you think that 8-0 push played into Chris Paul's decision to want to go to Phoenix at all? Like, he could kind of see it all coming together. So then it's worth its weight in gold, right? Yeah. No, 100%. Um, Okay, give me your all-NBA guards. Stop ducking this conversation, Michael. Let me give you some guards here. Okay. Um, Dame Lillard. Yes. Steph Curry. Yes. Brad Beal. No! Michael! Oh, Goodness. There is no way Bradley Beal should be in this conversation for all NBA. You have absolutely got to be kidding me. (laughs) Do you know how bad Orlando's season has been this year? I mean, it's been a complete disaster, right? Washington season? No, I'm talking about Orlando season. Orlando is 17 and 34 right now. Absolutely everything has gone wrong that could possibly go wrong for any team. Washington is 1.5 games above. Oh, okay. I see Come on, yeah. <laughs> Michael. And that's only because they beat them last night. Otherwise, it would be 0.5 games. I mean, they're basically having the exact same season. Invalidated. Bradley Beal cannot be all NBA. I'm sorry. Okay, so you're wrong there, but um, I have eight names. We, we got to so, work on your basketball so I gotta, values, I gotta, Michael. I, I, we got to work on your basketball. You're, <laughs> you're coming from the Boston Celtics lineage where nothing is more important than winning, and you're going to turn right back around and say, let's hand it to the NBA scoring leader on a team that's won one out of every three games this year? It's truly... Okay, I, I can go on and on here, but I'm just going to say that Bradley Beal is going to make an all-NBA team, whether you like it or not. He's not. Uh, and if, if we're going to have problems, okay, I'm going to have to start a campaign. <laughs> <laughs> not only accusing you of bad basketball values, but all the voters. I don't think he's actually going to make it to be to, in, a, in an entirely all-serious. I don't think Bradley Beal is going to make I, all-NBA, but continue. I truly... I, I truly can't wait until the All-NBA team. But, you know, he's got this hip injury. If he doesn't play again, then I, I can see him not making it. But anyway. Yeah, he's got a win injury, too. I mean, it just broke it. <laughs> they oh, can't geez. do it. Um, all right, who else you got? Okay, next up, James Harden. Yes. Like, he's just going to make it. Um, Kyrie Irving, going to make it. Uh, I think Chris Paul's had a better season than Kyrie Irving. Got to say. I. Okay, um, he's played an extra quarter games. Uh, he's been out there every single night. Uh, he's been the most important piece. We can argue first or second. We have argued that. I mean, Kyrie's clearly third most important for Brooklyn. I would I would say Chris Paul deserves it more than Kyrie Irving. I think that he is the third most important, absolutely. But he's also the guy who's kind of been around uh, the most since that sabbatical that he took earlier in the season. So when you kind of just tally up you know Harden's now going to be out for a little while with his hamstring and KD missed like two months and Irving's kind of been the guy who I think has played the most minutes without the other two stars I could be wrong about that but he's close 
it's either him or Harden, obviously. Um, but Kyrie has just been, I mean, this is the best season of his career by far. The numbers are just, they are eye-popping. And I watch a lot of Nets basketball. And every single time, like, he's just unstoppable, like, in a way that, CP is just a different type of player, but Kyrie just gets a bucket whenever he wants, no matter what the defense is trying to do. And so <laughs> that that is just he's gonna like he's gonna make all NBA. That's he's like a lock in my opinion. I, I put Chris Paul over Kyrie Irving. Who else you got? I okay, so uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that Kyrie shouldn't get one of the six spots potentially. I just think that Chris Paul needs to be on there before him. What about Luke? So. so so, so we're putting Luca as a guard. Is that what he was last year? He was. I yes. maybe miss Luca. Lucas Luca's got to be yeah. on there for sure. Uh, obviously, even though in my opinion he shouldn't be a guard. That's I don't know. Whatever. Um, well, Luca. What, what he, position he, does he play? He just dribbles a ball the entire time he's on the court. I mean, that's you know he's either dribbling, passing, or playing defense. Like there's no other in between, I, and that makes him a guard. Okay, fine. That's fair. Okay, so we have Dame, Steph, Harden, and Luca as guaranteed locks above Chris Paul for the six spots. Right? Yeah, Chris Paul's got to okay. be fifth above Kyrie Irving. Who else you got? Okay, so I just said Kyrie. I have Jalen Brown. Oh, come on. Okay, let me just get through these names real quick, and then you can you can kind all right, of sorry. spit sorry. all over them. Okay, Jalen, <laughs> Zach Levine. No, Michael. I, what did I just? <laughs> Come on. Okay. Um, I I can make the individual case, but I'm gonna hold off for two seconds. Um, I think Devin Booker is better than Chris Paul this season and more important to their team, and so I would put Devin Booker mo- more likely to make the All NBA over Chris Paul, Donovan Mitchell who is the leading scorer on a team that's been just savaging the rest of the league the entire season. And what did he drop last night? Like 40, something like that. Um, he's ridiculous. Mitchell's got to Mitchell's gotta be in the conversation for sure. And then I have De'Aaron Fox as the last serious no, candidate. No, no, no. Come on. So we can we can cull a lot of that, uh, those names. I mean, come on. Zach Levine, Michael, really? So we so you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Zach Levine's having a great year, man. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, it's not like I said Eric Bledsoe. Well, I'm glad you didn't say Eric Bledsoe because he fits your profile of these guards on losing teams who you're trying to prop up into conversations that they don't belong in. Um, okay, it's not a slam dunk for Chris Paul. It would be for me. I would have him on my third team, and I would feel absolutely great about it. You've made a lot. You've made very compelling cases for I would say about eight or nine candidates. So it's going to be hard to call that list. But some of those guys you're throwing in there, Michael. I mean, come on. We can. We don't really have to take those cases seriously. So I didn't say Jimmy Butler. Is Jimmy Butler even a guard? I don't even know. Um, I, I think he, he usually gets plays guard. Yeah, but. he usually gets classified as guard. I think. I mean, I think the minute stuff comes back for him, doesn't it? Yeah, potentially. I, he didn't make my little fake little list here, but he just kind of popped into my head as we were talking. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's a fun conversation. I'd love to hear what the Open Floor Globe thinks about the all uh, all NBA. You know how it's shaping up and some of these de- uh, debates. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. I'll just say this. 
over the course of an entire season, Chris Paul has been rock solid, steady every single night. He puts up the big assist numbers. You know, he does all the little things. He plays hard on defense. He leads everything. I mean, those kinds of things are very difficult to quantify, and yet his impact stats are off the charts. If you're telling me who am I more afraid of, Chris Paul or Zach Levine, in a late game situation, in a seven game series, or whatsoever, it's not. It's not even a com. It's almost an insult to Chris Paul. To have that kind of a debate, Michael. And so I just think that we need to reward this guy for what has been an absolutely phenomenal late career season for him. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. All right. I think that's probably enough about the Phoenix Suns. I'm going to ask you one final question, though. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you're a team like the Lakers, and we mentioned who the, some of the teams we think the Suns could beat in the first round, like the Dallas's and Portland's of the world, but if you're the Lakers and you're sliding to like seven, and you're potentially, or and maybe it's not going to wind up seven, maybe it's somewhere in that lower half of the bracket, right? And you're looking up to standings, and it's the last couple of weeks of the season, and we could see all sorts of shenanigans this year with teams trying to line up particular matchups. Who do you want to face? Who don't you want to face? If you're the Lakers, and, and the potential teams are Utah, Denver, the Clippers, and Phoenix as your four possible first-round opponents, which of those four do you want to play more than the others? I feel like the answer has to be Phoenix here, and that probably feels insulting to the Suns fans, but I do think if you're the Lakers, you're feeling like you're winning those matchup battles with LeBron and AD pretty handily. You're liking that Phoenix's main guys are inexperienced, where a lot of your players are coming back off a title run, and you're, you like the fact that they don't have Jokic, they don't have like this incredible three-point shooting attack like Utah, and they don't have Kawhi and Paul George, who are probably the, the best matchups in the Western Conference for the Lakers stars. So I think by default, if you're the Lakers, don't you want to play the Suns? 
I mean, I don't want to play the Nuggets. I'll tell you that right now. I definitely don't want to play the Nuggets. And I don't want to play the Clippers in round one. That's just, that's too tough. Like, that's the team that I think I was, I thought I was going to play in the conference finals this whole time. So those are the two teams where I'm just like, this is an absolute nice nightmare scenario. And we were not meant to win the championship if I, if I get one of those two. Um, the Jazz are, I mean, I go back to the Royce O'Neal thing and who guards LeBron James on that team in a seven game series and, and how do they cover him and are they scrambling and doubling? And I think that that could be just a, a, a tech, a problematic matchup, let's say. Um, and I can just like picture all the post-ups where LeBron's backing Royce O'Neal down, Gobert rushes over to double, LeBron throws the ball over his head, and Andre Drummond or Anthony Davis just destroys the rim. That's that's every possession in my head. So Michael, you're describing what sounds like a very painful process for you. Like you close your eyes and this nightmare scenario is playing out. I mean, is that what's happening? This is the life I live, yes. Um <laughs> Um, but well, so put, su- no, put it get straight to it though. I mean, if you're LA, yeah. would you rather play Utah or Phoenix? It's a it's a really interesting question because Phoenix, their style, they're going to be trying to play a possession game, right? You know, Chris Paul is going to slow it down. Um, and I think if you're the Lakers, it's like, all right, if you want to play possession basketball, we've got LeBron. We're feeling great about that. Uh, and I think if you're Utah, the difference there would be, I completely agree with you. The matchups are tough for both the Jazz and the Suns when it comes to the Lakers stars. Utah's, I think that, you know, their the feather in their cap would be, well, we've got this offense that can just go absolutely nuts. It's a little bit like what Houston was trying to play, where you're just getting those crazy, you know, um, anomaly three-pointer games where you're just going to shake everything up and one night you're going to hit, you know, 20 of them and you're just going to make this a, a much more challenging series and you're forcing LA to kind of keep pace with your perimeter attack. And, and the Lakers three-point shooting hasn't necessarily been their biggest strength. Um, in these last couple of years, and you're just kind of hoping, hey, can you outgun these guys, you know, with ball movement and, you know, guys like, uh, you know, Bojan Bogdanovic and Joe Ingles getting super hot and just kind of, you know, spacing out the the Lakers defense and just kind of winning, not through chaos, but, you know, through that, you know, that extra advantage. I don't know where Phoenix goes. I don't feel like they have that kind of ace up their sleeve. Phoenix, I'm just trying to like game out some of the matchups in my head, and I don't know. Like when you're the when you're the higher seed in a playoff series, there's this this like machismo thought process where you don't want to adapt to the opponent, right? And like if I'm Phoenix, you know, I talked a little bit earlier about how Jay Crowder would probably have to take the LeBron matchup. So then I have Aiton on where, like, who who does Aiton guard? Does he guard Drummond or does he guard AD? And then if I leave, like, and then who guards the other one? Like, am I going to have to start Saric at some point? Like, I just think that the, the, the matchup problems are just humongous for Phoenix. Yeah, that's a great point. Look, everything nice I said about Aiton, that applies for any first-round matchup except for the Lakers. Like, I think he's going to get destroyed by Anthony Davis one-on-one. Yeah, that's just... It's tough. It's tough, right? Um, but, but yeah, so... I mean, I, I would I would favor the Lakers for sure, but at the same time, I, would, I wouldn't be, like, totally stunned if Devin Booker averaged, like, 35, and these games went down to the wire, and then 
CP was able to kind of close uh, more out than um, more out than not, and they were somehow were able to prevail, and they got like hot from behind the three point line. And I, I don't know. I could see I could see Phoenix winning. No, we, we like, know you're going to house on it. Yeah, but we know you're going to pick the Suns when it comes to it. Um, Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> you always pick against the Lakers. All right, Michael. I think that, like I said, it, it's a really interesting question because the jockeying is going to happen, right? I think Utah by virtue of losing that game with Phoenix. Now they're going to be in a dogfight for the rest of the season for that number one seed. And that could come in handy. That that could be the difference between you get to play the Lakers or you don't have to play the Lakers. Um, and then meanwhile, you're seeing Denver rise up. There's going to be a real seedings uh, race between them and the Clippers for sure. So we're going to see a lot of these teams almost be able to pick their opponent or kind of position themselves to get a, a certain opponent. And so I think it's just someone uh, something everyone should watch as we head down the stretch. All right, Mike, let's shift gears. I want to ask you one quick question about the Brooklyn Nets. You know, Kevin Durant was back um, last night. They punted the entire first quarter and the first half of the second quarter. He didn't even have him play. They still almost score 140 points against Zion, um, your new favorite player, and the New Orleans Pelicans. It's a complete route. They don't even have to play their starters through the fourth quarter. It had peak Warriors vibes to it because they didn't even have James Harden out there and yet they're really only needing to play about two quarters of good basketball at a high level to completely blow the doors off teams. Michael, why are the Brooklyn Nets not about to go 16-4 and and win the title? I keep ramping up these questions to see if you're going to hop on their bandwagon but that performance on Wednesday night, I understand you know the Pelicans, not the world's greatest team. They made them look... (laughs) But they made them look like the freshman team. They just absolutely destroyed them, and they didn't even have James Harden. It was so easy for Kevin Durant, so easy for Kyrie Irving, like you were describing earlier. They're freaking loaded. I mean, look, LaMarcus Aldridge looks good. He had 22 points last night. That sounds a lot more impressive when he's like your sixth most important player than when he's your first or second most important player down in San Antonio. Blake Griffin is giving them quality minutes like you predicted and nobody else in the entire world predicted, um, you know, a month ago when, when he first was getting there, they're getting awesome moments from Brown. Joe Harris is just sick. I mean, incredible player, incredible fit with their stars. Mm-hmm. Who matches up with them, Michael? They're going to roll through everybody. Yeah. I mean, the Nets look, they look great. And I do want to quickly pour one out um, for Zion and, his streak of 25 or more points shooting over 50% from the field. If he did that last night, which he did not do, it would have broken Shaq's record of consecutive games doing so. So that so, was that was a bummer for me. So Shaq really owes KD now. Maybe he's going to have to walk back some of these anti-KD <laughs> comments over there. Here's the real question. Was everybody who was whining about the Brooklyn Nets being unfair, are they actually right? They might be right. This team might be the villains. It might kind of ruin everything. If I mean, I would love to see Brooklyn-Boston in the first round. That series would be over so fast. I mean, it would be a Cancun situation, Michael. Uh, <laughs> but I don't see anyone going to be able to push them in the first round whatsoever. They'll be lucky to get a game off the Brooklyn Nets in the first round. If the second round winds up coming down to Milwaukee playing Philly... I really like Brooklyn cruising through that second round. Like I think it's going to be kind of one of those things where they come into the Eastern Conference Finals riding high, and whoever they're you know going to face is coming out a really tough dogfight series. If it's Milwaukee versus Philly, like this is setting up really, really, really well for the Brooklyn Nets. I understand why they've generated so much resentment. This is uh, pretty rough for the other fan bases out there. 
Brooklyn, especially because the Nets fan base is 17 people, which is just a bummer for everybody else who uh, enjoys their own respective team. Um, But I don't know, like I'm looking at the standings, the Eastern Conference standings, and it's just like it's really muddled with like there's like two games that separate the Celtics from the seventh seed and the fourth seed and like Miami is in there. Um, if Brooklyn faces the Hawks in round two or something like that, then yeah, that is an absolute cakewalk. If they face the Heat, I think that that could be a legitimate fight. And we're not sure yet if the Nets are even going to get than one seed. Like if they have to play Philly and Milwaukee on their way to um, reaching the finals, that's trouble for sure. Um, And they can't stay healthy. So like, I think health is just a humongous X factor with this team. And you look at kind of the depth that they have at a lot of positions all of a sudden because of the buyout market, because of some of the trades that they've made and the signings that they have. Like, a lot of that was seen as superfluous and unnecessary, but it may be that they need everybody because I don't know when the last time is that they've had a healthy roster. I can't remember, I should say, when the last time was that I even saw KD, Kyrie, and James Harden share the floor. So I think that that is the one thing that can really bog them down. Um it's their biggest but, challenge right now is themselves. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, that's where it goes back to like, OK, I don't want to compare them to like the true super teams of the past until they actually prove it and do it in the playoffs. But, you know, that was the case with the Warriors for multiple years. It was like, OK, no one's really going to beat them. It's either they beat themselves or injuries kind of creep up to beat them. Right. I do think when it comes to the Eastern Conference, that's the situation Brooklyn finds themselves in. I mean, you're saying if they have to play Milwaukee and Philly, that's trouble. That's trouble for Milwaukee and Philly. <laughs> you know, I know which side matches up better with the other side. And, I, you know, hopefully Harden's not out for too long here. I, I'm sure they should try to take it, uh, you know, carefully with him. The one nitpick I would have about the Brooklyn over the last month and a half is that Harden was playing so well for them that they just kept going back to him and back to him and back to him and playing him lots of minutes. And they didn't need to be doing that. Um, it would have been okay to just play him 34, right? And just to kind of ease into it. And I was glad they took it a little bit slower with Kevin Durant. I think that was the right approach on the comeback. He looked excellent and and looked, you know, he wasn't even maxing out from a defensive effort standpoint in his uh, return game, but everything was coming so smoothly that you could tell they had uh, handled his recovery well. But I do hope they kind of, uh, you know, take it relatively easy on Harden because, you know, his burden... They just, you know, it was unnecessary over the last couple of months, and they're reaching the stage of the season where they can't have these little knickknack injuries. You know, like the playoffs are coming up; you can't have a guy out for multiple weeks that will throw off your chemistry and continuity. So, uh, you know, take it easy with the uh, with uh, his minutes once he's back on the court. And I still think they're going to be good enough and and talented enough to you know, to claim that one seed. I was, I just felt like that was a statement game from uh, them against the Pelicans. Did you feel that way or no? Am I overstating it? Uh, I mean, they didn't have Brandon Ingram, and it was on the second night of a back-to-back. So, you know. Yeah, Ingram's not like, fixing I'm, that. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, okay. they, they were no, so no, – no, and I, I hear your point for sure. Like, you could play that game anywhere, anytime, any place. Give them two Brandon Ingrams. They're still losing that game by 20 <laughs> points. <laughs> I think the other thing is that I just look at some of the lineups when I was watching that game and the players that Stan, like, had to play – And it's like, you know, Jackson Hayes is sharing the floor with Steven Adams. He's sharing the floor with um, 
Willie Hernan Gomez. Like these are just like brutal. It's like a joke. Like what are we even doing? Like against the Nets, like they're carving them up. It's like come on. I know, so, I know. their three point defense is always bad, but it's like all right with these guys out here against the Nets. Good luck. All right, Michael, I'm going to shift gears. I've been giving you a hard time on this episode. Liam comes through with the counter, Michael. He says, I just wanted to shout out the excellence of Michael's writing since he joined Sports Illustrated. I just read his piece on my Chicago Bulls, and it's so encapsulating of the nuance regarding rotation, schemes, cap space. It's unbelievable that Michael covers the entire league. Congratulations. That was the opposite of journalist tanking. So, Michael, how does it feel to, you know, have the Chicago Bulls Nation have your back? I mean, I really hope this article wasn't about Zach Levine for all NBA, was it? I mean, you were digging into the Bulls future, correct? Yes, it it was not. Um, It was mostly about I I was trying to figure out how I could write about Thad Young, who I just adore. And his season is he's having just I don't even know how to describe his season, but it's it's been incredible. And the trade deadline gave me an excuse where now they're starting him. He was coming off the bench for basically the whole season. They're starting him next to Vooch, Sadoransky, who low-key just, like, never has a bad play. Like, he's not the best player, but he never makes any mistakes, and he always is in the right spots, and he tries on every possession. So he's great. And then you have Zach Levine and Patrick Williams, and I like those two. I love Patrick Williams. Like, I... I could go on and on about him as well. Um, so, yeah, it was just about their future. And thank you, Liam, for um, enjoying it. Um, I'm sure that Bulls fans were so enraptured because I had a uh, hypothetical scenario for uh, Billy Donovan to be reunited with Bradley Beal that <laughs> I'm sure all the Bulls fans loved. So um, thank you for the kind words, my man. Wait, so how are they trading for Bradley Beal if they've got an all-NBA two-guard already in place? Well, so here's the deal. Um, If you look at their cap sheet, I I assumed that they were just like, this was it. Like, they have Vooch, they have Levine, they're going to have to pay Levine next summer, and that's just going to be their team, and they got to pray that Patrick Williams is going to be good. But if they renounce, like, a couple of their free agents, most notably Lowry Markkinen, who, you know, it's just, it's tough. Um seeing him out there in lineups with Daniel Tice and Nikola Vucevic, like, like there was that game against the Nets where um, we just talked about Hernan Gomez and Jackson Hayes, but like there were plays where Lowry Markkinen was guarding Landry Shamit, And I was like, what is this even the NBA? Like, is this, is this a game that counts in the standings? <laughs> what is happening? So no, it's, it's tough watching him out there with, anyone frankly um but so your plan is to renounce everything create the cap space and then do what yeah so you get the cap space um you know they can get uh up to max cap space in two summers if they just kind of take it easy this summer and they could still get someone on a one one year deal who's pretty good uh i listed a bunch of free agent options and then also if they want to get super dramatic and if everything kind of falls into place for them, I see them as a sneaky trade candidate for someone like Pascal Siakam, who I just think is like, I, I think this is probably his last season. Not probably is too strong, but like, I would not be surprised if Pascal Siakam was traded (laughs) this summer. Um, And, you know, they have some really intriguing young players who could be involved in a deal like that. And then all of a sudden you have, 
a Levine, Siakam, Vucevic, big three, or pseudo big three in, in your eyes, I'm sure, even though I know you love Siakam. Yeah, Siakam's that's the a really only good big team. part of that crew. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like the, the complimentary big three also, which I really like. Um, and No, that would be a much nicer fit. Look, they're going to need a player like Siakam to kind of balance things. I mean, the idea of having Siakam and Williams flanking Levine and Vucevic makes me like the pairing of Levine and Vucevic a lot more. Um, I think it's kind of an open question of how desirable of a destination will the Chicago Bulls be? Um, you know, you, you use Phoenix, who we were talking about earlier as an example. The table was really set quite well for Chris Paul, right? I mean, they had answers at all of the other positions. They just needed somebody who could kind of do what he could do. He could imagine himself plugging in. I just wonder if other, you know, similar level guys are going to look at Levine and say, well, that's just his team. They're going to see Vucevic and understand his flaws defensively and Levine's flaws defensively. And then just kind of have this question about like, well, what's really the ceiling here? Like, is that a place that we want to move to? Is that kind of a place I want to steer my client to? That's kind of an open question to me. I just look at their, their group and even in a best case scenario, I don't see how they win a playoff series next year, you know, like even if everything falls into place. And so I just wonder, is that going to limit, is perception going to wind up factoring in here and limiting how great they can be this offseason? It's fair. I think I'm a little more optimistic than you, in part because I like Levine more than you do. I think I like Vooch more than you do. And like, there is a lot on Patrick Williams' shoulders to improve, but everything he's done is basically the youngest player in the entire NBA who came off the bench in college in every game. He just, I mean, he guards the opposing opposing team's best scorer every single night and does like a damn good job. And he's shooting 38% from behind the three-point line and making over 40% of his corner threes. And so like when you give him the ball and a little bit more responsibility next year and the year after that, I think that he can be one of those breakout um really intriguing players on both ends of the floor. So I, I'm totally I'm a with little you. bit higher. I no, think. I'm with you on that part. I He's like the one part that I kind of don't question. I think he's going to be really uh, solid and show gradual demonstrated growth, you know, for the next three or four years. It's, it's more of their stars and how much you have to pay them. And are other guys wa- going to want to go play with them that, uh, you know, to me potentially dims their, uh, their future. But I love the optimism from you as always, your signature trait. All right, let's get into some of the reactions, Michael, to our best and worst contract conversation from last week. You'll remember that. We had a guy named Sean write in. He describes himself as a Canadian Boston Celtics fan who is currently doing a PhD in economics. He gave us a lot of background about a model that he created to determine uh, player earnings versus on-court performance. He looked at uh, things like age, shooting percentage, win shares, plus minus, rebound steals, blocks, all of it, basically everything he could get from basketball reference to make his model. And he told us that the most overvalued players this season were Blake Griffin, Otto Porter, John Wall, Steven Adams, Kevin Love, and Kemba Walker. A number of those players we did mention um, in our conversation. And he said the most undervalued, Luka Doncic, who I had at number one, Trey Young, 
Carmelo Anthony, Donovan Mitchell, Bam Adebayo, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. So some interesting names that we hadn't talked about. We didn't mention Steven Adams. I think that's one that probably needs to be in this conversation, especially because of the years added to his extension. We didn't mention Otto Porter, which is completely appropriate because everyone always forgets him all the time in all conversations. <laughs> um, Trey Young being undervalued was interesting to me. Michael, we didn't bring up Trey Young, did we? No, and I mean he was on my list. I you know, I had a lot of players, but he just kind of fell into the same category as Luca, so I didn't even feel like it was worth mentioning him, but he's absolutely unavailable. I mean, it's no question. For sure. And then Carmelo was an interesting one too because he's kind of in that Nicholas Batum category where like, you know, you're getting him on the bargain basement veteran yeah. uh veteran contract. Um did we overlook? Did we snub Melo? I don't know if I mean like isn't Melo just kind of getting the contract that he he deserves? Like that's just I haven't like uh, dove in too deep into the season that he's had. Um, yeah, but well, just from watching them play, like I mean, he comes off the bench. He uh, he had to moonlight as like a backup five for a little while, and that didn't go so well. And they have one of the worst defenses in NBA history. So yeah, I just feel like Carmelo is kind of he's not terrible. Um, he's not changing their season in a positive way in any like super dramatic um to any super dramatic degree but yeah like i just feel like he's kind of getting paid with what he what he should right well i would say that he's overperformed the minimum but you know part of this thing is like well lots and lots of guys get the minimum and most minimum players don't have any impact whatsoever and i think Melo certainly had more than that he's given them some stuff in, in key moments but they're also not asking the world of him I'm not going to campaign and say, oh, he should have been making the mid-level this year. But it's interesting that the model said, hey, you know, Carmelo has given them a little bit more than you would expect. It's easy just to overlook those minimum guys because most of them aren't giving you minutes. And he's had to play a lot for Portland. Um, So after the whole model analysis, Sean came through and said, the main takeaway here, and as a Celtics fan, it pains me to say it, perhaps Ben was right. The Kemba contract is really bad. Ryan adds, thank you for mentioning Kemba. Well, it's not the worst contract in a vacuum. It's probably the heaviest anchor on a team that could otherwise be competing for a title. Michael, 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 are you willing to defend Kemba and his contract? I mean, it's not a great contract for sure. We've we've talked about that before, I believe. Or maybe that's just like me in my dreams every single night um, fretting the numbers. But... If you had an, am- um, let me ask you: If you had the amnesty clause, would you use it on Kemba? Well, no, I don't think so because he's still an integral part of what they do and how they play, and he's not that like he's not a a, a, a negative force on the team. Like he's not Russell Westbrook for them, right? Like he still impacts winning. They're better when he's on the floor. Um, so no, but uh, he's just not a max player either. Like that's just odd. Like uh, that's clear. <laughs> but not a lot of players are max players, so it's it just kind of is what it is for him. So Ryan had some other heater takes. He said, "Look, the discussion of Zion as a possible best <laughs> contract. If you're allowed to commit offensive fouls every time you go to the basket, sure you're going to uh, score a lot of points." He went on to say Zion is just big Trey Young, incredibly efficient offense, and he gives it all up and more on the defensive end. If Zion is so great, why can't he drag his team to the playoffs? I don't agree with all of these anti-Zion takes, but there is some truth to what he's saying, not about the offensive fouls necessarily, because I think we're all going to have to just adjust to that. 
Defensively, Zion is an issue. Trying to construct the lineups around Zion, it's not easy defensively. And it does take off some of the glimmer of that amazing scoring streak, to me anyways, that you described earlier. Um, He went on to say, LaMelo Ball got a cursory mention in your discussion. He's probably closer to a brand name Malcolm Brogdon than a Walmart Magic Johnson. So can we cool our jets on him until he's starting and finishing (laughs) games consistently? I mean, you know, anytime someone tries to say that LaMelo shouldn't be compared to Magic Johnson, you know I'm going to bring it up on this show. What would you think of that heater? It's a good take, right? Uh, I don't even really know what it means. Uh, I've I've read that sentence multiple times, but uh, no, Lamelo. I feel like we should have maybe talked about Lamelo a little bit more. Like he's, I, I think we did, but like he's on a really great. I mean, it's a rookie scale contract, and he's the best rookie, so that's terrific value. There's really, it's just like not that complicated. Um, but I, I'm like, I'm not really too deep into criticizing LaMelo. Um, cause he's, what is he like 19? And the expectations were so wonky coming into the season. And I think he's blown all of them out of the water, um, easily. Uh, no, it's so... the honeymoon period. So don't rain on the parade. I, I agree with you there. I, I do just like his placement of LaMelo Ball closer to a brand name Malcolm Brogdon, which I guess he's trying to say, you know, like, a, you know, a supersized version of who Brogdon uh, is right now compared to like a poor man's version of Magic Johnson. I think that's relatively fair. I mean, you're getting more athleticism from a LaMelo Ball, but he has a lot to prove still. And I think that that was his underlying point. Um, at the same time, like, he doesn't have that much to prove from a contractual value standpoint because he over-delivered this year as a rookie, even with the injuries. There's kind of no way around it. Like, who would you rather pay LaMelo, um, that rookie number, or, you know, Wiseman, who's been a big-time minus, or Anthony Edwards, by all the advanced stats, has been a big-time minus. So I think the value thing was kind of already sealed up. Now, is he going to be worth a max contract three or four years from now? He definitely still has to prove that to me. And I, that's where I kind of agree with the emailer. Um, here's one. He's, com- he's, he, it, he's definitely getting a max contract. Like it's already, they already have like the, the paper printed out. They're just, it's in a lockbox waiting for him to be eligible to sign it. A hundred percent. I'm just saying, is he going to be worth it? He still has to prove that to me. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. we saw enough from the first three months to say, oh, he's automatically going to be like a top 15 level playmaker in three years. You know, I, I still think that. Um, that jury to me is still out, and but he can definitely get there. And I'm more convinced he will get there than I was at the start of the season. But I'm not, uh, you know, like, let's not rush to pay him every last dollar and just assume he's going to carry title contenders for the next decade. I think that it is, it is appropriate to pump the brakes just a little bit there. We had this question from Lindsay, Michael, and I will tell you, she is a big shot professional sports executive, longtime listener. She would know about contractual value. And she came at you. She said, how do you mention Jason Tatum and Jamal Murray and not the number one scoring option on the team with the best record in the league who earns less than both and next year will be on the equivalent contract as the other two? So, Michael, what do you have to say for yourself? Did you completely snub Lindsay's beloved Donovan Mitchell here? No, Lindsay, I had Donovan Mitchell written down on my little my little spreadsheet. I had Bam Adebayo. I had De'Aaron Fox. Um, these guys are all on the same deals as uh, as you uh, pointed out. And it was more just like wh- who who 
I, like I could have picked Donovan Mitchell and Bam to kind of exemplify that category of player for sure. I just chose Tatum and Jamal Murray kind of randomly. And so um, I'm 100% with you. I mean, Donovan Mitchell's contract is, is, is great. Uh, the Jazz should be absolutely thrilled to have him on that deal. Um, there are some other max contracts kind of in that realm. Pascal Siakam's, which is not looking superb right yeah, now. So, slow down for one second. Don't you think Mitchell's given better value than Tatum this year? Um, I mean... And better maybe? value than Jamal Murray. I think Lindsay has a point here. I mean, I think they're all in the same kind of category and conversation. If you're asking me to draft these players for the next five well, years, uh, I would look, here's the thing. I would take Tatum over the other two if I get him for the next five years. But for this season specifically, I would say Mitchell's delivered better value than Tatum. Well, I mean, okay, but that's really not how we, we look at this, or at least that's not how I look at this in terms of the life of an entire contract when Tatum is, I think a year and a half younger than Donovan Mitchell. So like, as you said, like anyone, I think most GMs would rather have Tatum because of the defensive end for sure. And just the size and the length. And he's just easier to kind of plug into different lineups and he doesn't need the ball to have an impact. But, um, but yeah, no, Mitchell's great. I have absolutely nothing bad to say about Donovan Mitchell, who I think should be an All-NBA player over Chris Ball. No, that's well argued. Look, I just I just wanted to help Lindsay make you squirm a little bit. Uh, but, you know, if your argument is long-term uh, entire entirety of the contract value, I think that it's fair to say Tatum still has greater value to his organization than either Murray or Mitchell. For this year specifically, who's getting better bang on the buck? I think Utah did get it. All right, here's a, a comment in from uh, emailer Michael. He says, honorable mention to Brian Scalabrini. I know he, he doesn't play anymore, but anyone who can watch and commentate every Boston game during this dreary season without losing all their mental faculties should receive some praise. Um, he said, I'm just having a bit of fun. So here's my serious suggestion. What about Lakers guard Alex Caruso only making $2.75 million this season? Uh, his career averages are six points, three rebounds, and two assists, but he does give you 20 minutes per game on a legitimate championship team, uh, and he's been uh, helpful despite the addition of Dennis Schroeder, who you might have thought would cut into his minutes. Um, his three-point percentage is nearly 40%. He's a pesky defender. He's got excellent rapport with LeBron. Uh, this is not a Mario Chalmers situation. So, Michael, what do you think about Caruso? You know, The Lakers fans view him as the GOAT. I do think in situations like when their stars are out, you just kind of wish a player like Caruso could do more and step up to an even greater degree. And they've tried to get a little bit of that from Taylor Horton Tucker. But when you're saying like playoff lineups, a fifth guy who you can trust in lots of different matchups, you know, Caruso does shine in those situations and he was excellent at times in last year's title run. Would you say he's one of the best values in the league? No, I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> right on brand, because... <laughs> right on brand. <laughs> well, I wouldn't because he's an unrestricted free agent um, this summer. So like that contract is not one of the best to me because he's are, about to get a humongous raise. But are you are you even, worried he's going to get overpaid? I know he's going to get overpaid. I'm seeing these Manscaped commercials uh, when I'm watching League Pass just over and over and over again and it's just like where's where's Bruce Brown's Manscaped commercial you know what I mean like let's 
Where's Where's Terrence Manns? Um, I don't even know what the equivalent would be. No, I mean, but, I was um, outraged when I saw Kelly Oubre's CarMax commercial. I mean, come on. <laughs> Gotta be kidding me. Uh, Maybe we should leave it there, Michael, before we get into any more trouble. I like this nomination for Caruso, though. You know, your point is very well taken. Like, having guys under team control for a longer amount of time is more helpful to the organization. But I would say the Lakers have squeezed every bit of value out of the Alex Caruso experience to date. And it's been a real success for their, you know, internal development, which, you know, probably gets overlooked at the expense of their star chasing here over the last couple of years. He was a key piece and they kind of, uh, you know, built his career up step by step and, and kudos to him for sticking with the program and rolling with a lot of punches along the way. All right, Michael, they can email us openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. They can find you on Instagram and Twitter at Michael V as in Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golliver, on Twitter at Ben Golliver. Michael, they can also find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review, tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. All right, Michael, until next week, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel... It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.